0: Good morning good morning uh let's start in a word of prayer here another beautiful day even though it's a little rainy outside let's uh praise the lord let's let's pray lord god we thank you for just your blessing of uh, fellowship uh lord i just think back on friday just a wonderful time of uh, seeking you together as a church uh, pray for more of those type of nights and and now as we gather lord we just pray you bless this time in the book of james uh All praise be to you, Lord. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we made it to the heart of the letter. Picture the book of James for a second as a peach, right? If you really like peaches, you take a nice big bite out of it. Now we made it to that hard part, that pit right in the middle of this sweet fruit. And if you were to bite that hard pit, you'll probably chip your tooth. And so this lesson today is not going to be easy It won't be soft, right? At the end of it, you might be sweating, but don't throw the towel in, all right? Let's let this message uh, just saturate in our hearts so we can grow in our relationship with God. And so this message is going to be tough, but we must not forget the pastoral tone. James is writing with authority, but he loves the people he's writing to, right? He wants what's best for them, and so he's going to give them 10 imperatives or commands, It's going to feel like you're in the military, and he's the sergeant, and he says, drop and give me 10, right? 10 push-ups. And so you wouldn't hesitate in the military. You'd go, okay, of course, sergeant, boom, 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 push-ups, push-ups. And so this is what James is going to tell us, uh, 10 commands that we ought to do. Like, we should already be doing it. If we've committed sin, obviously, this is going to be about repentance. And so he starts off with a command, and he ends with a similar command, and it's going to feel like a, a bookend, right? So... He starts with submission, and the next uh, bookend is humility. Uh, and so that's called an inclusio. And so we're going to see just how uh, this book is about repentance. All right? We're going to see different features of how we are to repent. And then also three promises that should encourage us to repentance. And so let's get into our text. Go to James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. We'll read the first verse here, and we'll get to the others in a little bit. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so here we observe the first of many imperatives, and it's presented as a couplet. And it's going to tie into the first promise, which we'll discuss later. But right now we're going to focus on these ten imperatives. So we're going to go one by one through all of them, and we'll discuss a little bit. So let's go to the first one. The first command here is to submit to God or to be subject to God. When we are truly repentive of our pride, we're going to stop being arrogant. We're going to submit to God's authority. And so think of it this way. Um, maybe uh, you've been driving lately, uh, whether you're following the speed limit or not, or maybe it's uh, littering. Uh, whatever's the case, uh, paying your taxes, there's an authority that we must follow. But when we're not following that authority... What are we saying to the authority? We're above the law, right? Uh, we're being arrogant in that regard. So that's just the authority we see in our daily uh, you know, living. But what about the authority of God? His law. God has called us to love him for our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so when we submit to him or we're subject to him, we're going to say, I'm going to follow your authority, Right? We're returning to a proper fear of God, and so we acknowledge that his will should, should be done, not mine. We begin to listen, and we do as he's called us to do. We obey him. Uh, so just a question for you guys. What does submission look like? Give me an example. It doesn't have to you know, be in the Bible, but it could be what does submission look like, maybe in your daily life. control. All right, giving, knowing God is in control, so you're submitting to his will. Yep. Anyone else? Submission, big word, to submit. to authorities, civil authorities. Okay. The boss, you know, At the work. The yeah, your parents, yeah. If you're younger, of course. <clears throat> Alright, so submission here, I, I like to relate it to the book of James a little bit, so I'm gonna be doing this with every imperative. Um, it looks like you're caring for the needy, right? God has called us to look after the orphan and widow in their distress. If we're submitting to God, if we're obeying him, one of those things is to love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you do that? Well, you reach out to those in need. Um, You're helping others, and you're doing God's will ultimately when you're abstaining from uh, sin, and you're uh, putting him first and obeying him uh, and being holy. All right, very good. Next one here. This one, uh, pretty interesting one. We'll, We'll talk about it a little bit. So the second command is to resist Satan or the devil, right? Uh, If we're going to stop living like the world, we're going to have to cut off this partnership, this friendship with Satan, right? He he wants uh, everything to be against God. He wants us to go against his will. And so we should not let that categorize our lifestyle. We can't be friends with God and Satan, right? We know that. Uh, so we're called here to resist the evil one, right? That word there, resist, it's like opposed. In verse 6, we saw that God is opposed to who? The Proud, right? He is hostile toward those who are proud and arrogant like Satan. And so here, we're called to be hostile or opposed towards Satan. And so we set ourselves against him. And how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to need the full armor of God. We see this in Ephesians 6.13. Why don't you go there? Ephesians 6. Uh, we're going to see verse 11 first and then verse 13. So, we kind of brought this up in a couple previous lessons. But we're going to see that same key word here resist. Uh, All right, here we go. Look at verse 11. It says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, right? So, we need the armor of God. Uh, Paul's going to talk about the armor of God and following. But then look at verse 13. It says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. And so there is going to be trials. There is going to be temptations. And we are called to resist. So what does resistance look like? What would you say if you're resisting the devil? What does that look like? Okay, yeah, saying no to uh, maybe his schemes. Yeah, anything else? Anyone else? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, think about uh, how we mentioned controlling the tongue and how the devil could really use that as a tool in his hands to uh, bring chaos uh, with our tongue, just gossip and all that. So yeah, saying no to the flesh is huge because Satan wants you to say yes to the flesh. Anyone else? Saying no or resisting Satan, the devil. I like to think of just saying no to the party life, right? Looking at what does Satan love? He loves a life just full of chaos and, and liberty in the sense of you know, sinful liberty. You could just sin as much as you want with no consequences. And so God has called us to live a life of holiness. And so saying no to Satan um, would be saying no to the party life. All right, let's continue here. We're resisting Satan. We're submitting to God. We already hit two of the ten imperatives. We're going to go through the other eight uh, and then we'll get to our promises. So let's read James chapter 4, verse 8 here. It says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you doubled minded. And so in this verse, we have three more imperatives. One is tied to another promise we're going to discuss later. We observe some parallelism here, and this is just a reminder of the artistic writing of James. Um, So you're going to see there like cleanse your hands uh, goes with purify your hearts and then sinners goes with double-minded So nice uh, parallelism here. So let's look at the third imperative though Uh, I like this one. It says to draw near draw near or approach God, right? The fact is that we can approach God and and that should surprise us because why God is holy holy holy, right? And we're not remember Uh, At the burning bush, we have Moses who uh, is approaching God, right? What does God tell him to do? Remove your sandals for this place is holy ground, right? Um, I want you to think about Isaiah with me. Uh, Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Just want to meditate a little bit on how we're called to draw near to God Almighty, not just another person. Like us. No, this is the one who made us. So go to Isaiah chapter 6. R.C. Sproul wrote a really good book, Holiness of God, here uh, on this uh, chapter. And uh, notice just how amazing God is here. So, verse 3, we'll be in verses 3 to 7. It says, And the one called out to another and said, Uh, These are the seraphim, right? the angels, holy, 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 is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshing trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filled with smoke, and then I said, to Isaiah, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. Uh, there's many uh, people that say they have visions of God and everything, and they see you know certain colors and whatever, um, but someone who actually had a true vision of God, what does he notice? His sinfulness before God, right? He says, woe to me, I am ruined because of my, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he's not just noticing his own sin. Look what he says. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And then he talks about, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Not literally, obviously, you would die, but this is a vision. Um, and, and so he is just feeling broken before God. And then verse 6 Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had been taken from the altar with dongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So just a foreshadowing of the gospel, um, talking about just how we need forgiveness of our sins uh, because we are not holy. And so we can draw near to God because of, why can we draw near to God? Because of the sacrifice of Christ, right? It's because of his death on the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins. And so we need uh, to understand that, yes, we can draw near to God. Hebrews 4.16, we are told to draw near to God with confidence, right? To his throne of grace. And we believers, we do this in secret prayer. Um, And so... I just really like this in James chapter 4. We're not called to draw away from God when we're in sin. We're actually called to draw near to him, right? To repent and, and, and to serve a gentle and lovely king, right? He is generous. He is someone who uh, does not, um, you know, give us reproach if we draw near to him, but rather if we come in faith, uh, he, he welcomes us. And so let me ask you, what are some examples in scripture maybe you can think of of people who come to Christ in humble adoration, right? They draw near to him. What are some examples in scripture? I kind of gave you a couple with Moses and Isaiah, but... Yep. David, David how how did he uh, approach God in a humble adoration? When he, uh, with, with, uh, him, he come to him and, mm. with uh, a humble heart, yeah. Right? No, that's good. Yeah, we're actually going to get to that in a little bit. Um, I'm going to bring that up in Psalm 51. So yeah, David is a great example. Um, he is someone that he knew he sinned against God, but he is praying his heart out. He's drawing near. Anyone else? An example of someone drawing near to God? Uh, Solomon. Okay, so he's praying. How? How so? When you come to king, you humbly ask God. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, fits right along with James 1, you know, asking God for wisdom. Solomon could have easily just been like, well, I got the inheritance, I got the money, and let me just take advantage of everything I have. No, instead, he goes to God first, and God blesses him with wisdom. He doesn't ask for the riches, but then God obviously gives him riches as well. So, very good example. I have a couple, um, the tax collector, when he's turning to God in repentance, right, He says, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? He's beating his chest. He's not even looking up. That's a humble approach. And then another one, uh, Mary, after Lazarus, right? Her brother dies. Um, Where do we see Mary? She's at the feet of Jesus, right? She is crying. If he would have been here, he would have not died, all these things. But even then, if you move on after the resurrection, she's at the feet of Jesus again because she's washing Uh, his feet with the perfume and and cleaning it with her hair. And so we just see that humble adoration. um, And that's the type of approach we ought to go uh, to God with, that humble adoration. All right, let's continue here. Uh, The fourth imperative is to cleanse your hands, right? Uh, James calls sinners to repent of their external behavior. So we're going to see the external, internal, or inside and out um, action and attitude And and so these are the easier sins to witness, right? Um, James did tell us in chapter 1, verse 26, that true, pure, undefiled religion is to be what? Unstained from the world. And so we're called to have these holy hands, as 1 Timothy 2 talks about, right? What is that talking about? It's not literally hands. It's about what we're doing, um, our action. And so we ought not to commit acts of violence or cause division, Uh, Remember, this is a call to repentance. And so, no longer will we murder. Remember, James chapter 4, verse 3, talking about just anger in the heart, hating our brothers. Or even James chapter 4, verse 2, we're fighting and quarreling, right? And so, we are called to be peacemakers. Um, An example is someone who's washed their hands. Uh, I put hand washing here. Uh, But it's someone who reaches out to those in need right they're serving if you remember James chapter 2 verse 15 there were those that that were in need and and uh, the religious elites were like God bless you God's gonna provide but I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna take care of you okay I'm sorry next but God is saying no if you're someone who's gonna cleanse your hands uh, you're gonna be active and you're gonna be taking care of those in need all right any questions there on cleansing your hands or comments cleansing your hands It's not literally about hand-washing, okay? So number uh, number four here, uh, number five. The next command is to purify your hearts, right? James calls the doubled-minded or two-souled to repent of their internal sins, right? These are the hard sins to recognize, but Jesus, he noticed them in the Pharisees, right? If you read in Matthew 23, 25, uh, he exposes their hypocrisy and he says to uh, not, you guys clean um, the outside of the cup. And then he say, but you need to clean the inside because you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. And so Jesus is saying, you got a big issue. You're, you think you're clean, right? They're, with their ritual traditions and their, um, you know, ceremonial washing. And look at me, you know, I'm ready to worship God because my hands are clean. But Jesus said, you guys are full of sin in your hearts. Full of this robbery and self-indulgence. And if you look at the flip side of that tax collector, the one next to him was a Pharisee in Luke 18. And he was just saying, look at all the money I gave. I am nothing like this tax collector. I'm better, right? They have this uh, feeling of superiority. And so James is calling us here to repent of that, to rep- repent of that type of um, selfishness and pride. Uh, if you remember in James 4.3, they were asking with wrong motives to spend on their pleasures And so now he's saying, you need to have right motives. You need to want to honor God, to not waste your life, but to bring God glory with your every action and thoughts, right? And so let me just remind you briefly, because this word again came up, uh, the word heart. We saw that in James chapter 126. um, He doesn't want us to be be deceived. Remember, if you think you're religious, um, but you do not control the tongue, you're deceiving your own heart, right? That theme of deception comes again in the book of James. And then, uh, in James chapter 3, verse 14, when we were talking about heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom, uh, he said, those who have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their hearts. So they're people that are not truly wise in understanding. They are deceived. And let's be honest, uh, we read that in uh, Jeremiah, I believe. Uh, The heart is deceitful. right? The heart is deceitful. And so, uh, I mentioned hand-washing, and so another way to think of it is heart washing, right? Uh, so, what are some examples of someone washing their heart or, or coming clean? Uh, they're repenting of their of their past sins. What would it look like for for someone that uh, is doing some heart cleaning? What would you guys say? We mentioned we mentioned David, but anyone else? Some heart cleaning. Uh huh. Oh no, you didn't have. Okay. So think of it this way. They are saying, I am sorry for my sins, Lord. Please forgive me. Right? They're coming before the Lord and acknowledging, not only have I did maybe acts of violence and I'm stopping that, but even my thought life and and the things that maybe I I act like I'm better than other people. uh, Lord, I need to stop that. Please help me. Help me uh, not to um, be partial. Right? We were talking about uh, the sin of partiality in the book of James. Um, Help me to look at people as equals, right? Created in the image of God. Let me love everyone. Um, And and I like James 1, verse 19, right? How do you really see someone whose heart has been changed? Being slow to anger, slow to speak, right? Quick to hear. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, John, do you mind just reading verses 9 to 10? I'm just going to get some water. Yeah, so in these verses, we get five more commands, right? So we read the five, we get five more. And three that are tied together in prophetic imagery. One that relates to the first command because of the tense of the verb. So we'll see how that connects again, the first and the last uh, imperative. Um, And then we uh, we also see another uh, promise uh, right there at the end of the verse. So we'll get to that. But let's go through these commands again here. So the sixth one here is to be miserable, right? Repentance is not a pretty picture. We should be visibly broken about our sins. Our sins, they don't lead us to joy. They lead us to misery, right? If we uh, really care about our relationship with God and we understand what sin uh, costs, uh, we are going to feel distressed about it, right? Now, I'm not saying that we just dwell on our sins, like, we just think about it non Oh, I'm a big sinner, I'm a big sinner, but I'm not saying that. Um, but we should think about it, though. There, there's two extremes. Ones that don't ever think about the sins they've committed, so they never repent, because they're like, well, i got forgiveness in Jesus, I don't, I don't need to repent. And then you got the other extreme that, oh, I'm such a terrible person. Uh, Jesus, I know, I know he died for me, but uh, that's not a big deal. I, my sin, right? So you got two extremes. Uh, we need a balanced approach here. And so we need to understand, yes, we sinned against a compassionate, slow to anger, kind God. Now this word uh, misery, it could also be translated to grieve or uh, to be wretched, be afflicted. And so it calls for a recognition of our wretchedness and shame because of our sins. And this connects to the next command, we'll see. But before we get there, um, what are some ways that we can show, yeah, I am not feeling good about my sin that I've committed? What, what are some uh, acts maybe we can take when we say, you know, I'm truly repentive and I am not feeling good about my sin? Maybe we stop certain things. What, what would you guys uh, say there? How, do you, how can you actually tell someone's really repentive of their sins? To your or yeah, you confess to one another. If you've committed a sin against a brother or sister... You're willing to say, hey, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Yeah. Anyone else? How does it look like uh, when someone is truly repentive? Think of it this way. Maybe this person, they stop entertainment for a while, right? They take a, they take a chill pill and say, I need to get, you know, um, focused right now on my relationship with God because I have not been doing what he has called me to do. Um, and so they pause, they reflect, maybe Selah, right? Uh, we have this time of confession. Our heart is broken over the sins that we have committed, right? Um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but let's move on to the seventh imperative. The next command is to mourn or to lament. We see many examples of this in Scripture, right? We, we read about in all this mourning and lamentations and in the book of Psalms, right? As we repent of our pride, there's not going to only be internal signs of grief and misery, but there are also going to be signs of external grief, right? And it's going to connect to our next command here uh, with wailing. But before we go there, I want you to see how this relates to the Sermon on the Mount, right? I I really believe James is chewing up the Sermon on the Mount, um, and, and we're blessed with this book because of his knowledge of the Sermon on the Mount and his love for the Lord Jesus Matthew 5.4, you don't have to go there, but I'll tell you. uh, One of the Beatitudes here, Matthew 5.4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so here we have a promise in Scripture. Those who mourn over their sin will be comforted, right? And this brings up a very interesting point. Sometimes we focus so much on the positivity of Christianity, you know, positive and encouraging, right? Uh, But we forget that there's a time to be sad, Right? When we sin, we shouldn't continue life like nothing happened. Uh, we need to stop. We need to confess our sins before God. And if we were being prideful, or, or like uh, Brother John mentioned, if we sin against a brother, we need to we realize we're being a bad witness to Christ. And so we need to stop and, and confess our sins. Um, and, and, you know, let's be honest. If you really don't care about the sins you've committed against God or your brothers in Christ. Maybe you're not truly saved. Maybe it's because you don't have that relationship with God, and so, uh, like Vanessa brought up, what did David do when he was confronted about his sin? Right, he repented and turned to God in those moments. We observe that in, in Psalm 51. He says, "Restore the joy of your salvation," which means he wasn't feeling joy at that time in his sin. Right, he was mourning about it. Um, all right, so any questions or comments on any uh, things we went over uh, here in these commands or imperatives so far? Yep. Yeah. Mm. In the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different kind of, a, of a joy that, that, that is mm-hmm. to the, uh, joy of the Lord and the of the Lord that Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. There is this type of foolish laughter and fake joy that people have especially the proud, right? They, they act like everything's okay, but no, they've sinned against the Holy God. So, all right, let's continue here uh, to the next command. Like I said, it connects uh, very well uh, with the previous two. Um, and it's to weep, right? It's very similar to mourning. Uh, both are signs of external grief. But wail, uh, it, it's pointing to or to weep uh, an overflow of tears, right? Um, the verb was used for wailing for the dead, but here it means crying or sobbing because of sin and shame. And so Peter is a good example of this, right? After denying Jesus three times, not once, not twice, but three times, what did he do? He began to wail. Uh, He was so prideful to think he would never betray Jesus, but he did, and we have as well, right? Every time we disobey or deny God, It may not be to his literal face like Peter did, right? They made that eye contact there. But when we sin, we know Christ lives in our hearts. He's with us and it should cause us to stop and wail, right? Um, There is nothing wrong with crying. I mean, if you sin against God, it's okay. Go ahead, cry and and confess your sins. Uh, Maybe you've cried recently about something uh, tragic or serious, whatever it may be. But when was the last time you cried about your sins against God, or even the sins that you're seeing around the world. Um, now I'm not saying that the tears save you, right? Some people are, cry about a, a little thing, uh, and some people never cry, right? Um, but I want you to notice that if you're not weeping, if you're not serious about your sin right now, uh, that is very concerning, right? Um, so I want you to look to Luke chapter 6:25. Look with me at Luke chapter 6:25. yeah, believers should have a hate for sin now. They should understand the gospel and when it caused Christ uh, for our sins. And so if you don't, Luke 6.25, Jesus, after you know, saying uh, the Beatitudes, here we have the woes, especially to the Pharisees in audience. Look what he says. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you shall be hungry. Talking about the r- r- rich religious elites who are very greedy. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And so kind of back to what Bob was saying about just people that have this fake joy, uh, people that are laughing and partying, thinking they have it all, uh, but they really don't. What does Christ say that is going to happen to them? They will mourn and weep, right? It's too late. Uh, They are going to be living... um, or, or they're going to be in, in hell where that's all there is. There's no joy. Uh, there's only mourning and weeping. Now, Jesus is not condemning laughter. He's not saying you can't ever laugh. Uh, but what he's stating is that there is a group of people that don't care about their sins. They're more concerned about the next party. They have this superficial joy, um, and they laugh with all their entertainment. Uh, but when Christ comes back, they're not going to be laughing anymore. Right? There will be mourning and weeping. Now on the flip side though, some encouragement here, Revelation 21, four, uh, we see that uh, when we're with God, believers, that there will be no more mourning, uh, there will be no more crying or pain, right? So we mourn now, obviously because of sin and the sins that may be affecting us around, but when we're in heaven, there's none of that anymore. What does God say? He will wipe away every tear from your eye. Um, all right, any other questions or comments here before we move on? the next command here. All right. So number nine here is uh, to turn or to change, uh, to turn back, turn around. James wants us to change two aspects of our attitude, especially in repentance, right? If we're truly going to repent, our joy must turn to gloom and our laughter must turn to mourning. Uh, And this brings us back to the previous commands of mourning, weeping, and misery. Uh, We learned that their people Feel serious about the sins they committed, and so James is calling us once again to take our sins seriously, rather than foolish laughter that the world displays about their sin. Um, we 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 go to mourning. We go to gloom. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven six tells us um, that as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futility. Right? Job uh, twenty verse five says. Um, that the mirth of the wicked is brief and the joy of the godless lasts but a moment, right? So the people with their parties and and the greedy people have so much good food to eat every day. I'm talking about steak, you know. These men, these people, their joy, maybe a hundred years at most, is going to last but a moment. And then what comes after that? Eternity, right? And so uh, they have a perishing joy, And their laughter is in vain, ultimately, because it's not going to last. Now, the word for gloom, it could also be translated heaviness. And so our feeling about sin should not be light. It should make us feel heavy. We sin against a holy God. All right, we made it to the last imperative here. Uh, And the last command is to be humble, right? Uh, We shouldn't feel up about sin. We should feel downhearted, right? And so when we humble ourselves before God, we know we sin against Him. And so this is a reminder uh, that God gives grace to the humble, right? That was in verse 6. And so we are called to be humble then, right? If God's giving grace to the humble, why wouldn't you be humble? Um, This also returns us to the first command of submitting to God. And so this is about surrendering, saying, Here I am, Lord, please forgive me. Um, There's only one high priest that can sympathize with me. There's only one mediator that, that... can save me from my sins and and there's only one savior that laid down his life for me to be forgiven and so we have to hold on to that promise in first john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we're called to be active in repentance i mean there were 10 imperatives here um in the aorist tense here basically saying do it now if you haven't done this if you haven't repented of your pride. I mean, you should have already been doing this. You should repent of your pride. Um, God has called you to do that. All right, any questions on any of the commands before we move on? Um, like I said, there's a lot of different uh, ways of repentance, but yeah. So I'm thinking about what you're saying and I'm, I'm questioning, like, yeah. are we talking about non-believers? Or- mm-hmm. Good, good. So, kind of like in our church today, as a preacher goes up there, um, you know, Pastor Nathan preaching a sermon, uh, he knows his audience. Uh, The church is for believers, ultimately. And I believe, James as well, the letter is written to believers. But what's going to happen when you're in a big room? There's going to be some false converts, and there's going to be some unbelievers. I think it applies mainly to believers um, that have been just confused or uh, straying away from the gospel. Uh, People that have been acting uh, like adulteresses, right? They've been cheating on God. Um, So I would say that's the target. However, I do think there's some applications for even the unbelievers and the false converts. Uh, There are people that are trying to be teachers, but they can't control the tongue. There are people that uh, think they're wise and understanding, but James says, you got selfish ambition in your heart. Right, you're, you're being arrogant. We're, we're going to see that in a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, if, if that helps uh, your question a little bit, I would say it's targeted to believers, but there's still application for unbelievers. Yeah. Good. Good question, though. Um, let's keep going here. We're almost done. And so now we're transitioning from the imperatives to uh, the promises of God. All right? So uh, we're done with uh, the, the pit of the peach, right? The The hard part. Um, now we're going to uh, get to the nice, refreshing promises of God. And we got three here, uh, security, uh, solace, and uh, salvation. Um, and so let's look into these three. Uh, if you notice, they're all in the future indicative tense. It will certainly happen. Uh, we have assurance that these things will take place. And so we'll look at the uh, first one here um, to encourage us in our repentance. So the first promise, if you look in verse 7, uh, we have one of security or safety, right? James called us to submit to God and to resist the devil. And what is the outcome of that? What, what does it say, guys? Yeah. The devil will flee from you. That's a beautiful promise here. And so, but I want you to notice, we don't easily skip the first command and just focus on the second command. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't forget about submitting to God. Beloved, we must remember that without God's help, we will not be able to resist the devil. And so we need to submit to God first, and then we could you know, uh, proceed in resisting the devil. Um, what did Christ tell us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Does anyone remember? Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Yes. And so we need to submit to Him, uh, submit to God. Now, once we resist the devil, we get this promise, right? That he will flee from us. Well, this doesn't mean that Satan will never return again to tempt us, okay? The promise we have here is that as you repent, as you turn from sin, you will be able to say no to Satan's schemes. And and yes, we don't have to love this world anymore. Uh, We're not enslaved to sin. We have this promise of freedom. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, right? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide that way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. And so we can have victory over sin. All right, so that's the first promise there. The devil will flee from us. The second one here is one of solace or peace, right? Um, We have a beautiful promise here that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. God doesn't say, Hmm, Kevin, you sinned again? Forget you. Next. No, he gives to all generously without reproach who asks him for wisdom. He knows we are weak. And so when we turn to him, when we approach him, he doesn't turn away. He meets us. And, and, and so we need to remember, we don't serve um, a God we cannot approach. Uh, we serve a humble and gentle king. We've been going over on Wednesday nights, uh, our book study, in gentle and lowly. Matthew 11, 28, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. What are they weary and heavy laden about? Well, they're feeling the weight of their sin. They understand they they try to do it on their own. They try to earn salvation, but no, that doesn't work. You can't. You're a sinner. And so Christ promises, I will give you rest when you come to me. And so Jesus gives those who have repented exactly what they need, rest for their souls. And with God, we have all that we need. We can... Say with David in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. What shall I want? And so we understand there's nothing better than Christ living in us. Uh, we read that in Galatians 2.20. Um, that it's not, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he talks about how just the Lord loved me and gave himself for me. And so I live for Christ now. And, and that's really a beautiful promise. When you draw near to God, God would draw near to you. And all you want to do is live for him. Uh, all right. Last one here. The last promise is talking about the future salvation to come when Christ returns. Uh, all of those who repent or humble themselves before God will be saved, right? They're going to be exalted. We're going to have that glorified state. Um, and so we get a glimpse of this in James chapter 1, verse 12. Remember, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, what's he going to receive? Anyone remember? The crown of life, right? Or eternal life. Uh, he made it, right, um, and so the, uh, the people that James mentions there, talking about those who are in trials and they 're considering all joy and they 're persevering he 's talking about people that are humble, people that that know it 's all about God, and, and we get this promise: they will be exalted right now there 's a flip side to that um, if you do not humble yourselves, right we already spoke about God gives grace to the humble but is opposed to the proud. And there's a flip side. If you read Matthew 23, 11, 12, Jesus is going to expose the Pharisees' hypocrisy. And he says, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. So there we, we know that the Pharisees, their mindset was, no, 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 no. Uh, if I'm the greatest, I don't have to do anything. You have to serve me, right? But Jesus saying, no, 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 that's not how it is. Jesus came and, and served. He did not come to be served. Uh, so he could save many. And then it says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. So here's the flip side of that. If you try to be this person that doesn't serve and, and, and you know, gets all the fame and glory, you know, think of King Nebuchadnezzar or whatnot, Pharaoh, you're going to be humbled. You're not going to be exalted. And then it says, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Right? And so ask yourself, are you living a life of service? Are we humbling ourselves? God promises that he will exalt us. And your love for God and work for him is not in vain. Now, one last verse that teaches that God will exalt us uh, if we humble ourselves is found in 1 Peter 5. So I just want to end with 1 Peter 5. Uh, You can go to verse 5. And uh, looking forward to 1 Peter 3 today, but we're in 1 Peter 5. If you read verse 5, uh, the middle of that, it says... Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And notice, Peter's also quoting from Proverbs 3.34. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so now Peter's going to give some exhortations from this and um, explanation. And it's similar to what James is saying, right? That's obviously the Holy Spirit working in both of them there. Um, But look what he says here in verse 6. He tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And there it is, that he will exalt you at the proper time. And so it hasn't happened yet, right? His audience are looking forward to this future exaltation. Then if you look in verse 7, we're called to cast our anxiety on him, right? That's the weight of our sins. We can draw near to God. He he has given us access. We can go to him because he cares for us. Then verse 8, the devil is mentioned just like in James. We are called to be sober spirit and alert because we know the devil is there looking to attack us. And then in verse 9, he tells us the same thing he told us in James, to resist him and to be firm in our faith. We realize that we're not alone in this battle, right? There's other people around the world that are suffering just like us. And then lastly, verse 10, we're reassured of this great promise of salvation, this future salvation to come. God says, he who he has called, he is going to strengthen you. He is going to perfect you, confirm uh, confirm you, and establish you. All right, so we can have hope. We can have hope. All right, any last uh, questions or comments about God's promises as we close here? Yeah. Again, as I reflect on it, it's just like the anatomy or the response of a process of repentance. You can't concoct it. You can't start mourning to leave externally, and that's okay to you. Yeah. Yes. After you, you mm. begin to realize that there is a sin in your life, and you realize mm. that it's caused you and others. Yeah. And that's when this process really uh, starts to get some fuel in it, and mm. it's hard to realize I've got to change. Mm. And then when you do that, then comes that peace and that joy that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Humility. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and that's a great reminder. This is a life of repentance, right? We're not going to be perfect. Um, We are going to be falling in temptation uh, from time to time again. And so, yeah, this letter definitely is for us. As believers, uh, we need to uh, mourn. We need to weep over the sins we commit. Um, But yes, yes, it is a continual repentance. um, uh, But this is just a great reminder Uh, to do that right and rather than just continue living like that super grace lifestyle you know christian liberty like hey it's everything's fine we need to say wait 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 i've sinned i need to repent right now all right um may we meditate on these promises and strive to live in humble